Amen. Oh, so good to sing that song led by, uh, led by kids. So kids, thanks for your work on that. And so that's going to be a song that we sing uh, going forward every once in a while. We'll sing it pretty frequently now to kind of get it uh, taught to everybody. But kids, you're not going to normally come up here and lead us in it. Uh, you're going to be sitting where you're at. But I hope that you're the ones who sing it loudest and kind of teach the people around you in that way. Uh, such a good song uh, to sing. Jesus strong and kind. Um, you know, you think about, uh, man, it was just good to hear kids' voices. Uh, you think about uh, the kids that were standing up here. They're preschool through fifth grade, and you kind of look forward to things that uh, they may see in their life ahead, expecting that most of them will live a lot longer than most of us. And uh, I know one thing they will see is they will see power used for the good of others. They will see power used to harm others. What we want them most to see, though, is the power of God for salvation. We want them to know the God who is merciful and mighty. The God who is the great Lord who also calls Himself gentle and lowly. We want them to know Jesus who is both strong and kind. Last week, we saw in the first 15 verses of Acts chapter 16, God leading Paul and his small team at that point consisting of Timothy and Silas and leading them to the Macedonian city of Philippi. It was Paul's second missionary journey, and it's the furthest away that he had yet taken the gospel. And already in chapter 16, we've seen the conversion An unsaved person, a wealthy Asian businesswoman named Lydia, converted, saved. And upon her being saved, she was baptized and invited the other believers to stay in her home so that they could continue ministering to more people there in the city of Philippi. So that's where we pick it up today. We're going to actually finish the rest of uh, Acts chapter 16, which is a longer section. Just to get us started, though, I'm going to read verses from kind of the center of the passage, which I think is the heart of it, verses 25 to 34. We're going to cover 16 to 40 in the message, but right now I'm going to read verses 25 to 34. And if you're able to, would you stand for the reading of the very Word of God? Let's let's pray first. Father, we do. We want to see your power You are a God who is merciful and mighty, the great Lord who calls Himself gentle and lowly, Jesus who is strong and kind. That is is who you are, and by your Holy Spirit, uh, you intend to reveal yourself and ourselves to us even as we look at your word today. So be at work by your power for your glory to accomplish that now through the reading of your word and then through uh, my words as as I seek to help us understand and apply it. Uh, better. Be at work now for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 16, we'll read now verses 25 to 34. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. 
And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Amen. You can be seated. All right, so uh, in your bulletin there, again, sermon notes, life group guide, if that's helpful for you to take those notes. Uh, if you're meeting with the life group, that will be something you want to hold on to. And if you're not, it might be something you find useful anyway. But you'll notice there, I'm calling the message today, Power on Display. That's something that I was seeing as I continued to work through this section and to study it. And the first thing we see in this passage is spiritual power on display. I didn't read those verses yet, so let's go ahead and look at those, starting in verse 16. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, you might remember that that when they came to Philippi, likely because there was not a synagogue, that would have been their normal place to go first, they went and found the place where they expected that, that Jewish people would be gathered together to pray. And now they're going there again. They were going to the place of prayer. Listen to what happens. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. Fortune so, so there's a girl who's able to make a lot of money by telling people their future. The problems with this are twofold, or maybe more. One is, she's not getting the money herself. She is a slave, and so whatever money she's using her powers to earn is going to her owners. She's being used by them. And maybe even bigger of a problem is this. Her ability to tell people their future her fortune-telling capabilities are given to her by some dark spiritual power called here a spirit of divination. So, just a quick note, while some would claim to have similar powers in our day, psychic powers of various sorts, some of those certainly are just using human mind tricks and those kinds of things, but there's also the very real possibility that there is the influence of evil spirits, spirits, which is, well, it's not wise to mess around with. Um, anything like, you know, horoscopes, tarot cards, all that other sorts of crazy stuff that could be used to tell us our fortune. You know, that stuff, the kind of stuff that we're reading about here, it's, it's real. Uh, the, the spiritual forces of evil and darkness are real. We're living in a season right now in the month of October where, where Halloween has been this thing that kind of gets blown up and it's like a whole month full of just like celebrating evil in, in many ways. And it's ugly and it's dark and it's not something like, hey, that's interesting. Uh, maybe we're attracted in some way to something that's a little bit scary. So just don't. Don't go there, okay? Um, there, there's some spiritual forces of evil at work in this girl, and that's what's giving her this power to tell people their fortunes. Let's continue on in verse 17. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you 
the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. It sounds similar to the kinds of things that we may have read as we've read the Gospels. Luke 8 would be one example of an evil spirit who, in fact, knows the truth. I mean, what the evil spirit says there is true. They're proclaiming the way of salvation. Paul, though, is annoyed by this, I think probably because he doesn't want to be seen as someone who is partnering uh, with somebody being possessed by an evil spirit, and he commands the spirit in the name of Jesus to, to come out. And it does. There is real spiritual power at work here, and Jesus' power is always superior to that of the spiritual forces of evil or darkness, right? So we see that here in this passage. Quick quick note before we go on, just a couple of points of application today. I'll do the first one now and the other one at the end of the message. Um, I think it's good for us to acknowledge that there are still spiritual forces of evil at work in our world today. And I think first and foremost, uh, the way we combat those things, well, it could be a long list. I don't want to have like a separate sermon on this. But let me just acknowledge, like we need to first acknowledge there are spiritual forces of evil at work around us in our world today. We need to acknowledge that. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we'll get to it here, says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Right? That, that defines for us who the enemy is, and it's not who we often think it is. Somebody that has a different opinion about, uh, on us, or uh, somebody who has a different opinion than us about all sorts of different things. They're, they're not the enemy, right? There, are, there is an enemy at work, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And what are we to do about it? Well, I could read all of Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, but let's just look at three more verses there in Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 13, the very next verse says, therefore, okay, there are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places that are at work against us. Therefore, verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. We are to do something in the face of these spiritual forces of evil and what we are to do is to put on the full armor of God. God. You can read the rest of the passage to know what exactly that looks like. Go back though to verse 10 really quick. Verse 10 says this, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So so as we look at the spiritual forces of darkness at work around us, we need to acknowledge that our power is not going to be what allows us to stand firm. It's standing firm in the strength of the Lord and in His might. It's good that Jesus is strong and kind, right? And so, so we turn to Him. God's power is superior to that of any spiritual force of evil. That's why the kids led us in singing, Jesus said that if I fear I should come to Him, no one else can be my shield. 
I should come to him, for the Lord is good and faithful. He will keep us, right? This is, this is our hope. He will keep us day and night, so I can always run to Jesus, Jesus strong and kind. Colossians 2.15, if you flipped a couple more pages there in your Bible, you'd read Colossians 2.15 that says this, Speaking of Jesus, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So church, let's stand firm in the strength of his might and put on the whole armor that he provides in the face of spiritual forces of evil. So, what we've seen so far in Acts is, in Acts chapter 16 here, is the spiritual power of darkness and the superior power of Jesus on display. Now we're going to see physical power on display. Look at verses, I didn't read this yet either. Look at uh, verses uh, 19 through 21. There it says this, But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone. Remember, they were making a bunch of money off of this girl using these spiritual forces of evil to make money by telling people their fortunes. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. So, so they're using physical power, dragging them before the people of power, the rulers and magistrates, in order to stop them. Why? Because it seems not unlike what is often the case even today, that people get kind of nasty when their idols are threatened, especially the common idol of money. They, they were about to not make the money they had become accustomed to making, Right? And so, feeling threatened, they seek to use physical power to stop Paul and Silas from doing what they were doing. Let's continue in verse 22. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Those would have been a bunch of small wooden rods bound together as a cord, making a bigger rod. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. This is this is not a fair trial, not by American standards and not even by Roman standards, right? This is not a fair trial. They're not even allowed to say anything. This is an ugly abuse of power. It's a display of power for sure, but the mob is who's ruling, beating Paul and Silas until they're finally thrown into prison, put in the inner prison, and had their feet locked in the stocks. Now, there's no mention that Luke gives of them fighting back or of, you know, Luke and Timothy. Remember, Luke and Timothy are with them now too. Paul and Silas are the only ones that sounds like being beaten. I don't know if Luke and Timothy uh, weren't sure what to do, if they, they knew they would have been beaten, if they would have tried to help. We, we don't know. 
But as if the beating wasn't enough, they continue to display their physical power by locking them up. We're going to stop them from doing this, putting them in the inner prison and locking their feet in stocks. So, yes, there's an evil spiritual power at work and there's an evil physical power also at work here in this passage. In the previous part, we saw the superior spiritual power of Jesus on display. All right, so now, now is the superior physical power of Jesus going to be on display? I mean, is Timothy, like young Timothy, going to step up and overthrow the mob? Is Dr. Luke going to start beating them with their own rods? Will Paul and Silas use their words to, to start a riot and, and, and cause the other prisoners to be able to bust out in some way? What's going to happen? How are they going to show the power of God? Well, look at verse 25. Verse 25, about midnight, it was a long day. Just been beaten with rods. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Huh. So how is the physical power of God going to be on display? Well, it's going to start strangely maybe. These people having been beaten with rods, locked up in stocks far from home, probably what's more likely to come that next morning, more likely than breakfast, is probably another beating. And so it's midnight. And what are they doing? Praying and singing hymns. That's the power of God on display. <laughs> His people in the midst of physical pain and suffering and under the threat of possible death, what are they doing? They're praying and singing hymns. There's more. Verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So God's power on display again, this time through a great earthquake. The foundation shaken, the doors opened up, bonds unfastened. And then there's more. Verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, we are all here. So we see the power of God on display again. Men so convinced that God has a plan for them that when the jail that they've been unfairly held in, when it has the, the, the doors swing open and the bonds unloosed, they just stay there. The power of God on display. Telling the jailer now, caring for this one who had locked them up, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Verse 29, and the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Look at who's, no, notice in this passage, we're going to see two people trembling in fear. One is going to be the Philippian jailer, and then the other people that are going to be fearful later is the rulers and magistrates. Paul and Silas, the ones being beaten, are not the ones in fear. It's those that thought that they had the power. And he asks them this question, verse 30. Then he brought them out and said, this is a great question. God's doing something in this guy's heart. 
<laughs> that though just earlier that evening he had locked these up after they had been beaten, now he's asking one of the most important questions that anybody could ever ask. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, the power of God on display again as Paul and Silas make it clear. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. I love that it's not a long list. Like, whoa, what do I need to do? Oh, okay, well, if you're ready for this, sit down. You're going to want to get out a pencil. We're going to write this down. Here's all the stuff that you got to do to be saved. That's not what he does. Because Christ has done what is necessary for even this evil Philippian jailer to be saved. His sins are many, but God's mercy is more. What does he need to do? Simply believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's what, that's what he needs to do. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. This is the power of God on display. It goes on, verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. I love that they don't give up. That they just keep going like, alright, you want to hear the word? Then I'm going to preach to you the word of the Lord, to you and to everyone in your house. Verse 33, and he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. Isn't that a beautiful picture of a man transformed? The man who had, who had, while they were wounded, not cared for them, but instead locked their feet in stocks and thrown them in inner prison. Later on that same night, because he'd been transformed by the grace of God, he heard the gospel, and now he's washing their wounds. And having been washed up well enough, they are able now to baptize him at once, he and all his family, and then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with the entire household that he had believed in God. This is, this is beautiful. This is the power of God on display, transforming a guy in the course of one night, and it leads to rejoicing. I want to jump to application, but let's finish the passage first. Verse 35, for some reason, the magistrates decide to let them go, not knowing what had just happened uh, around midnight. Look at verse 35, but when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. Okay, so something stirred them up to say, all right, we need to, we need to let them go. Verse 36, and the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. All right, like, hey, let's just kind of keep this quiet. We, we did this, you, you're out now, okay? But Paul, seeking to probably hold them accountable, knowing that what they had done to Paul and Silas was not legal, says this in verse 37. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, Men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison, and do they, not, do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. You, you're going you're gonna to unfairly try us. You're not, you're not even going to hear what we have to say. You're just going to beat us with rods, throw us in a prison, and then you want us to keep quiet about that? No. If they want us to come out, then they need to come and tell us that. Right? Now who's going to be trembling in fear? Look at verse 38. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. <laughs> Oops. 
They thought they were just beating some foreigners who showed up, right? No big deal in their mind. But now they find out, wait, these were Roman citizens. That's not how we're supposed to treat our own citizens. Uh Uh-oh. Verse 39, so they came and apologized to them. These powerful men have their power humbled. They came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. Now they're just making a request. Verse 40, so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. I love that. They, I love that they love the church enough. They're not just going to scoot right away. But they respect the authorities enough, even the, uh, the authorities who have treated them incredibly unrespectfully, right? Yet they, they acknowledge their authority and they honor their request to leave their city. But before they go, they go and they encourage Lydia and the other believers in the newly established church there in Philippi. I think that really probably in many ways sets things up well for this newly established church in Philippi. If, if Paul and Silas were all about like, we're going to demand our rights and stuff, no, they held the people accountable, right? But, but they kind of let them know, listen, you're not going to be able to just beat us. And at the same time, we're going to respect your authority, okay? And that, I think, sets things up well for the church in Philippi uh, in their relationship with the ruling authorities in that area. And then we turn to chapter 17 next week. But I want to end with a bit of application here because what we certainly see I think, highlighted centrally to this passage is the saving power of Jesus. And I want us to take note of three responses to this power. Three responses. They're there in your sermon notes and life group guide there as well. Three responses. Response number one is this. Believe and be saved. (laughs) Believe and be saved. Maybe you've come in here today asking the question, the jailer, maybe just straightforward. Like, <laughs> all right, make this clear. I've been, I've been trying to read the Bible. I've gone to church. I've heard all sorts of different things. But you're here today, and you just want it to be made clear to you. Just kind of like the jailer. Like, what do I need to do to be saved? Right? Let me just share the answer that Paul and Silas are like, I'm not, I don't have a better one. The answer is believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Right? I'm not going to give you a list of here's all of the things you got to do. I'm going to just proclaim to you the good news that Jesus has done what needed to be done. That though you were unrighteous, alienated, separated from God because of your sin under His wrath, you who couldn't attain righteousness on your own have, have received the good the good well, let me tell you now, I'm not sure if you've received this. I want you to receive the good news that Jesus has done everything that's required so that you can be declared righteous. You can be justified before God. His perfectly righteous life, His complete obedience, His perfect obedience uh, given to you and your sin that puts you under God's wrath, given to Jesus so that He is our substitute. That's the good news. And so what do you need to do about that? Well, you need to respond by believing in the Lord Jesus. So believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's, I think, response number one. Our memory verse for this week, I'm not ashamed 
of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. Right? How do we see the power of God most clearly on display? I think in saving people. God's power on display in saving sinners. Everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Response number two. I said there's three. Response number two, show it and say it. Show it and say it. Paul and Silas showed gospel living, I think, by not attacking those who were treating them unjustly. That's quite Christ-like, isn't it? By not escaping when there was a chance, but by staying to care for this fearful, suicidal jailer. We too are called to demonstrate gospel living by not doing what everybody else would expect us to do. But that's not the only thing. Not showing it wasn't enough. They needed to say it. They needed to say, believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. Right? The jailer wasn't going to look at their behavior. If they didn't say anything, he'd be like, wow, you guys are weird. <laughs> like the prison doors opened up and you got like, that's very nice that you care about me. You're nice people. But we don't want people's conclusion to be like, you're nice people, right? We want to be nice people. We want to care deeply about others in part so that they hear from us the good news, that the gospel has to be shared, not just shown, right? And so the gospel has to be said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And then they stayed and spoke the word of the Lord to him. Response number three. Response number three is this. Sing it and pray through suffering. Sing it and pray through suffering. It was midnight. They've been beaten, locked up in stocks in prison, and the response of Paul and Silas was to pray and sing. Listen, I want to be like that. I want our church to be filled with people like that. People who find themselves in a tough spot and whose gut reaction is, well, we got to pray. People who endure suffering. And as we're enduring suffering, our response is, i got to sing some gospel-rich songs. And part of what happens in that is other people listen. Did you notice that in verse 25? They were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners are listening. Right? Have you noticed how when we sing, that does something in us? Has that happened to you before that even part of what, I mean, that's part of why we only spend an hour and 15 minutes all together during one week, and we spend a portion of that singing together because God uses music, music rich with the gospel to do something in us. We need to pray. That's what we do when we gather together. Christians pray. Because when we pray, we're admitting, I'm weak but I know that the one to whom I am praying is strong. Paul and Silas, they're helpless. Their body is sore. They didn't even get ibuprofen, I bet. Right? They just got beat with rods, and they're locked up. What are they going to do? They're, they're powerless. They're weak. They're helpless. But they're not because they're praying to the God who's stronger than the jailer or than the bonds that are holding them in. Christians, we are people who when we're facing suffering, we feel weak and we admit our weakness and we go to God in prayer and we sing the gospel in songs. And that's an encouragement to us and others. 
It fills us with perspective and fills others with hope. I love that the kids, oh man, that, that song that we were singing, we're going to sing that more, like I said. I love that, that verse that we all started singing on. Jesus said that if I'm lost, he will come to me. And he showed me on that cross, he will come to me. Why? Because the Lord is good and faithful. He will keep us day and night. We can always run to Jesus, Jesus strong and kind. Right? That's why we sang earlier, neither height nor depth can separate us. Hell and death will not defeat us. He who gave His Son to free us holds me in His love. That's why we sing with joy now. Because our God is for us. It just, I mean, they didn't, the City of Light wrote this song in like 2018. So Paul and Silas weren't singing that song. But I bet it was a song a lot like that. And everybody else is like, what's going on with you guys? Your life stinks right now. And you're singing, God is for us. Who can be against us? Right? That's why we're going to close by singing the song that has these words. I love this. You want to think about the power of God on display. Think of the fact that Jesus himself is our intercessor, our advocate. The one standing before the throne of God for us. That's what this next song, this last song that we're going to sing is about. We're going to sing the words, Behold Him there, the risen Lamb. My perfect spotless righteousness, right? We don't look at ourselves to see, like if you want to look at righteousness, you don't look in the mirror. You behold the Lamb, our perfect spotless righteousness. The great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. Here's the good news. One with Himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased with his blood, and my life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. This is good news. News worth in the midst of whatever suffering you're enduring, whatever hopelessness and whatever weakness you're feeling, we sing and we pray to that God. Let's, let's do that now. Let's pray and then sing. Father, You know that I don't know what kind of suffering everybody in here is enduring. Maybe it's suffering in their physical body. Maybe it's just suffering uh, in their mind. They're struggling with anxiety. They're feeling uh, down and depressed. But I'm thankful that you know each person in here, God. I don't know the sinful attitudes and thoughts that are being harbored in our hearts and minds. But you know those too. And God, I pray that first and foremost, the people in this room would believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. And that there would be this kind of just uncomfort, this unease, that, that until they come to a point of turning from sin and trusting in Jesus, they would feel uneasy. That they would talk to somebody who can make the gospel clear to them. That they would believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. And if today is the day of their salvation, give them the courage to make that known. And for those of us who have been saved and are facing suffering, those of us who are feeling weak, defeated, tempted, feeling weary and worn out, feeling way too busy, way too distracted, way too confused, I pray that through all of this, we would join our voices with the sinners and sufferers around us as we joyfully proclaim some gospel-rich truths in this closing song. And that we would keep singing throughout the week, 
as you continue to display your superior power. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.